Hey, it's Brian. Learn to draw important insights from healthcare data to improve patient care in Northwestern University's master's program in health analytics. Whether you have a clinical background or quantitative experience, you can earn your degree entirely online in a program offered in partnership with Northwestern's Feinberg School of Medicine and Northwestern Healthcare. Find out more at sps.northwestern.edu slash health-analytics. One more time. Find out more at sps.northwestern.edu slash health dash analytics i've never really thought like go get a job it was always just like what am i going to go create like we're a technology company that just happened to find sports as the vehicle for that it's not your fault or any other you know middle-aged father or uh, mother that had a kid go through it but like it is impossible for you to understand the consumer as well as i do this is the work in sports podcast here's vp of content and engage learning at workinsports.com brian clapp I'm going to share with you one of my favorite sayings today. Are you ready? Here it goes. If something is wrong, fix it if you can. But train yourself not to worry. Worry never fixes anything. That's Ernest Hemingway. That's my dude. Love that guy. Now, this doesn't apply to everything. My daughter started high school this week. I will worry. There's no problem I need to fix. There's nothing I can do about it. I know she has to go to school, but I can't help but worry. But in general, this concept of fixing problems versus worrying is the guiding light in my world. I think about it daily. What is the problem? Fix the problem. Worrying is usually a waste of time. But even worse than that are the people who blame and complain about problems they face. Most people see a problem and think to themselves, I have four options. Blame someone else, complain about it on social media, worry incessantly, or fix the damn problem. I put myself in the fix the damn problem category, and I hope you do that as well. I think that's why I'm so drawn to entrepreneurs. They see a problem that either affects them or countless others, and their internal monologue is, yeah, I can fix that. I have an idea. Let's do this. I love that. But it doesn't stop there. An idea isn't viable unless you can execute it. Successful entrepreneurs have an idea, put together plans, generate interest in funding, establish teams, lead people, and in the end, create something that changes us. Innovation is hard enough. Now you layer in execution? My goodness. All that is to say, entrepreneurs have something special about them, and I kind of want to bottle it. Today's guest is a shining example, James Sackville. James moved from Melbourne, Australia to the U.S. in 2016 and became SMU's starting punter for the next four seasons. While in school, James became dismayed by the recruiting experience he and his teammates lived through. So he set out to fix it, make recruiting more equitable, more fair market type experience. In May, he launched Athletes in Recruiting, a three-sided platform that is a cross between LinkedIn and a dating app but for recruiting. Those are his words, by the way. I didn't make the connection between LinkedIn and a dating app, but he'll explain later, and it makes a lot of sense. Air, athletes in recruiting, Air, they're already wildly successful. They already have 36,000 users, including 600-plus football coaches, and they're going to expand and do other sports soon. But enough of me yapping. Let's get to James so he can tell you more about this exciting program. 
Hey, James, what's happening? I'm so excited to have you on today. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate your time. This is always fun to talk about new sports tech platforms. And I'm one of those people that kind of believes, you know, good innovation comes from someone who's lived in experience that has identified a problem that sees a way to possibly solve it and takes it on firsthand. So let's get into those early days a little bit and what's inspired you here. You grew up in Melbourne, Australia. You played Aussie rules football. You recruited to play football in America at SMU. You lived it. So how did you identify the problems? What did you start to see that were the problems that needed fixing and, and your, your approach back then? Yeah. So I, as you said, came over uh, in the States five years ago on a full scholarship, but played a sport that was kind of my first love and realized that I wasn't good enough to actually play professionally, which is kind of soul crushing. So then I, <laughs> I wanted to figure out what the next big thing was. And I wanted to play professional, not professional sports, but just big crowds. You know, I wanted to have that real like atmosphere i guess you could say um and then the process was was like i i dove all into it i tried to become subject matter expert in the entire process just because like that was what i was trying to walk myself into i tried to learn everything about america uh and it was just kind of a a broken you know kind of a broken system there was a lot of fragmentation it was kind of like he said she said a lot of the time i didn't feel feel like there was any like you know straight line part of the equation it was all like wishy-washy yeah um and so that's that's kind of how i how i got here i came through a program that got me here and i was you know incredibly thankful to to go to smu and i played i had a good career and everything but um i felt like it could have gone a lot smoother and i thought it was just you know an international problem and then when i got to the states realized that it was probably more prevalent even more so domestically than it was for an international student athlete. And that's where my, my mind started going about, okay, there's probably something here. So a lot of your teammates were expressing some of the same problems, like just like, Oh yeah, my recruitment was terrible or this was hard or. Yeah. I heard every excuse under the sun really from sitting in the locker room at a, you know, a division one program of, I should have gone to this school. I should have gone to that school. My high school coach screwed me. I got injured my junior year. I came from a low socioeconomic family and I couldn't afford to go to these camps. Yeah. Every excuse that you could hear, whether they're valid or not, that's beside the point. I heard all of them and I was like, hold on a second. Like I'm, you know, went to, da- I'm living in Dallas, Texas. I'm going to a division one university in Dallas. It's meant to be like pretty much the ultimate hotbed for hotbed for football talent in the whole country. And like, I'm dealing with Texas recruits having these problems. Like, what about everyone else? That's great perspective. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of how I, I was like, oh, there's something here. No, I needed to flesh what that was. But the, the ideas have been spinning since the day I pretty much walked on on campus in 2016. Okay. There's, a, there's an interesting conversation here, though, in that a lot of people see problems, but never do anything about them. They'll sit back and they'll complain. They'll have a problem. They'll tell their friends about it. They'll post it on Facebook. Like, I can't believe this happened to me. You took this on and said, like, I'm the person that can help solve this. Where did that come from? Where did that kind of strength and attitude come from for you? My folks, definitely. Um, I was raised in a household by two entrepreneurs, you know, but my mom and dad both have run um, successful businesses for, you know, my entire childhood. And there was never a time in my life where I would come home at the end of the day and mom and or dad had to report to someone else, you know, it was like they were their own boss and, you know, they had people working for them. So, uh, that's all I've ever really known. Um, I'm, you know, I may not be able to like figure out how they run their actual businesses, but the general principles of like, this is how like, you know, life should be lived of like, you go build something rather than go get hired. That was my thought process. Mm -hmm forever so it, it sounds you know perhaps a little odd to the to the traditional year but like 
I've never really thought like, go get a job. It was always just like, what am I going to go create? So it's a great attitude. I mean, like it's a bit of a different perspective than most. Yeah. If you can do it, why not? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I do find that's the entrepreneurial spirit. Like I've interviewed a lot of different entrepreneurs in sports and otherwise, and you do see that attitude come through of, well, why not me? Why shouldn't I do it? Why can't I create then fix this problem? And it, it's, it's definitely interesting to see that it, it came inspired from your parents a little bit too. You turned down a fifth year of eligibility where you could have continued playing. And yeah. I talked to a lot of athletes who are like, once it's done, they miss that locker room vibe, being around teammates. Like that's a yeah. fun time of your life. But you pushed that down and said, no, I want to go. I want to go start athletes in recruitment. Yeah. Why was that an important decision for you? Uh, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> to be frank, to, to be frank, so I came over, I'd never played a game of college football. I've never played a game of football, sorry, until I stepped foot on campus in America. But the first game of football that I ever played was at the Division One level. So like, you know, you hear these kids and these stories of like, I've played this game since I was five years old and it's all I've ever known and it's, you know, it's my first love, et cetera. Like American football or wasn't that for me you know it was like very much like a oh i happen to be pretty good at this like specific skill set in which i learned in a completely other different sport halfway across the world and you know it provided me all of these opportunities a free education the ability to network expand my horizons live on the other side of the world etc but like i never like grew up being like i love football yeah like i can't give this up you know i saw it even before i stepped foot on campus of you know let's be really self-aware of of what I am as a player, like what sort of school I'm going to, what my perspective was to even before I got to school, right? Like I went in the program that I came through, like Michael Dixon, who's the all pro punter for the Seattle Seahawks, Mish Wisnowski, who plays for San yeah. Francisco, um, Jordan Berry, uh, Aaron Sipos, all these guys that are now playing in the, in the NFL were there and I was training with them before I even moved to America. So I already knew visually what the cream of the crop look like okay. from a skill level and a physical makeup level. And I, I knew before I even left, I was like, I am not that. <laughs> like I, I straight up knew. I was like, I, I was like, if that's what the best 32 in the world look like, I am not that. Now, could on a good day, could I compete with them? Sure. But that's on my good day and that's on their bad day. Yeah. You know? So I was kind of like, okay, let's be really self-aware here. Let's go get a quality education. Let's go to a city where there's a really good business school, et cetera. Um, hot city. I had the opportunity to play right, right away. The network of, of SMU is, you know, fantastic. Mm. And that's what I valued more than football, which kind of gets me back to your question, which is like, I never loved it, to be frank. Yeah. Never loved football. I loved my teammates, but like I had a really hard time of like being, you know, really well liked. And I loved all my friends and my teammates and everything. And I was everyone's best friend Sunday through Friday. And then on Saturdays, no one wanted to talk to me because if I was running out on the field, it was probably a bad thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's a great, it's it was great perspective. Like, it's kind of like, ah, like shit. Like, I don't want to do that because like that just didn't, that didn't seem like any fun to me. I wanted to have like more participation and control more of the game. And I yeah. felt like I was capable, but obviously I didn't play this sport. So I'm not a wide receiver. I'm not a quarterback, a linebacker, et cetera. And I understood my role, but it was like, I'm not going to play in the NFL. I knew that before I even stepped foot on campus and four games into my freshman year, that was very much validated. You know, I saw some of the humans, yeah. of the size of just these bo these bodies. And I was like, I'm going to go enjoy my four years. And doesn't mean I'm not going to like care about football, but yeah. like I'm going to go figure out everything else 
that school has to offer and, and university culture has to offer other than just, you know, my goal is to be one of 32 people in the world. You know, if you were, if you were the 33rd best accountant in the world, you're probably doing pretty good for yourself, you know? And if you're the 33rd best punter, you're sitting on the couch waiting for a phone call, yep. making $0, living on, living on mom's couch. And I was just kind of <laughs> like, I, I'm like, I don't know if that's, that's it for me. Now, if I was like a top 10 talent, like sure. And I, for whatever mm-hmm. reason was sitting on the couch, but I knew that I was talented enough, different conversation. Yeah. But I was, I think the self-awareness part is, is the big thing. So like I had the opportunity to play a fifth year, the whole, op- the whole thought process behind it was I was never going to get my graduate degree, didn't care for it. I was like, I'm just going to co play one more year of football and network at a really, really big school to amplify what I was building already with air. That was the logic entirely. And then COVID happened and, you know, there was opportunities and I, I had the very real opportunities to play, you know, SEC football last year um, and turn them down because I was just kind of like... Yeah. The, you know, the cost benefit analysis of that didn't make sense. I'd already started the business and like, yeah, where's the higher ceiling? Just, yeah. I was like, so I'm either going to be done with my football career in January in a sport that I don't really love playing that is, um, or I'm just going to, you know, go all in on something that I'm, I have a hundred percent control of the outcome and I'm going to bet my back myself in every single day of the week. And if I fail, it's only my fault. If I succeed, you know, it's myself and my team's success. So let's talk about the product. We have a lot of student athletes in our audience. I'm sure a lot of them are nodding their heads right now. We have a lot of sports tech people that are probably excited to learn about what you're up to. So let's, let's dig into the product a little bit deeper. What explain it to us? What does athletes in recruitment do? How does it work? Yeah. So air essentially combines the concepts of LinkedIn and a dating app, but specifically for collegiate athletic recruiting. So a student athlete can create their own athletic resume promote themselves to relevant college coaches, compare themselves with their peers, swipe left and or right on a university based on their specific uh, wants and needs. Might be high academic school, part of the country, et cetera, maybe division level of quality of play, et cetera, whatever the kid wants to uh, preference as, as the type of school. And then on the complete other side of the equation, the college coach has the ability to do the same where they can sort, filter and swipe on a prospective student athlete based on their specific wants and needs. And they can essentially quite literally build their own player. So whether it's a physical trait, an academic trait, a location, they're looking for a Juco kid, a high school kid, what star is he, et cetera, how fast he runs, how how fast he runs, how high he jumps, you name it, who else has offered him. They can quite literally, you know, take their cream of the crop. And the way in which they do that is they swipe left on the guys that they're not interested in. They swipe right on the guys that they are interested in. No different than that of a dating app. So that's the model. And then we also have a third user, which is the liaison. So that's the high school coach, the private trainer, the recruiting service, parent, guardian, et cetera. Someone that acts as that third party or intermediary between the athlete and the coach. For a few reasons, to be frank, there are rules and regulations on when communication can occur between the athlete and the coach. Mm-hmm. It's really, really important to have that person representing you. And then really the way in which like we've looked at this as a company is if you're applying for a job, you and I are applying for a job where equally as qualified, equally as talented. And I have three letters of expert witness recommendation letters of, and, and two of which know the hiring manager directly. And you who are just as qualified as I have none of that. Who's probably more likely to get the job. Right. Probably the person that has two, two expert witnesses vouching for them. Right. Yep. Recruiting is absolutely no different. If you're not a top 500 kid in the country, like you're going to need help, whether that's your high school coach or a private trainer or 
you know, an, a, a, an uncle that played at that school, whatever it may be, you're going to need someone's help. So we've brought that together all in the one platform and linked all the profiles together to make it seamless. So when we started out this conversation, we talked about identifying a problem and you lived through it and then, you know, coming up with an idea. Yeah. It's a whole nother thing to execute on it. It's a whole nother thing to have it become a reality and go from that phase of ideation to creation and also successful creation. Yeah. As you look back and you only launched in what, May? It was only a short time ago? Yeah, yeah like a few days, three days and a few, three months and a few days right now. That's amazing. So as you look back from your process from idea to where you are now, yeah. what were some of those key moments that took air from good idea to 36,000 users, including yeah. over 600 college coaches from over 225 universities? Those are some pretty good metrics to get started with. What got you there? Yeah, a lot, lot of failure. <laughs> like an overwhelming amount of failure before we even launched the application. Uh, you know, we started, I, I, we founded the business, you know, 10 days before COVID hit. So <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, it was very, it was very much like a, oh, like it's, we're up against it from before we even started. It was just, you know, kind of an idea and we'd written, you know, we'd had like the first MVP designs type of deal. Um, and we, you know, iterated, you know, countless amounts of times, developed a team, went through a few different, you know, early um, employees of the company, some that have, you know, been fantastic, some that it just wasn't the right fit and that's okay. And then, um, yeah, really kind of over the last three months, which, you know, to kind of get to the, I wouldn't call it success yet, but good start, I guess you could say. Um, it's been really, really maniacal on what the core purpose of the mission is and that's to put the athlete first. Uh, I'm, I'm of the fundamental opinion that we're living in a consumer facing society and, you know, the B2B, the B2B approach while it works, you know, if there are a whole lot of, um, a whole lot of clients per se, you know, there aren't that many in collegiate athletics. There are only 2000 schools, you know, in which there's 130 at the division one level. And then you have to win the business of 130 of them and charge them whatever the enterprise value of your software is. Yep. But if you look at just the wants and the wants and the needs factor based on the consumer, there is a significant desperate push of the athlete because they're desperate for an opportunity and, and only 6% of high school football players play in college mm -hmm. type of deal, you know? So you're, you're, the back is up against it from the start and you have to work really, really hard to get noticed. Right. So we kind of looked at it and we were like, there are so many athletes that should fit into that 6%, but don't for whatever reason. And like, the valid there's no longer a valid excuse from an exposure piece you know like the idea of like i didn't get enough exposure i was slighted this that and the other should mm -hmm. no longer be a valid excuse because air, air solves that entire product and putting the athlete first and make it really consumer driven rather than enter enterprise driven sorry um is, is really what i believe the fundamental early success of the platform yeah, it makes sense. And if if it if there's a there's a pretty clear business case to make too. If you are able, so I'm, I'm assuming from that from what you just said that the athletes themselves pay a monthly fee, subscription fee, some sort of model there. What's what's the basic general model uh, business model? Yeah, for, so it's freemium. Um, it's a freemium model. So uh, we you know we looked at the at the college code in a traditional dating app model, right? In a perfect yep. world, for any dating app you want. 50%, 50% in regards to gender or whoever the two parties you are that you want to match up, right? That's the ideal scenario for everyone involved. 
there are 25 million kids across the world that want to play collegiate athletics every year in the States. There are only 2000 schools, right? You know, so that, so the model had to be different from the start because we just didn't have enough distribution on one side of the, we didn't have enough users on one side. You can't yep. have 65,000 coaches across all sports and 25 million kids. It's yeah. just too, it's way too big of a difference. Um, so, and it's also, you know, the chicken or the egg scenario, right? When you've got a platform with zero users, like how do you get the first one? You have oh, to yeah. give one thing, you have to give something away. You can't charge it from everyone because otherwise, you know, it's too hard early. So like we, we don't charge a single dollar from the universities or the college coaches um, by design, to be frank. Yep. You know, the, the numbers just don't make sense for that to occur. And then it's a freemium model just like LinkedIn has a freemium model, mm-hmm. you know, where you can pay for the premium version of LinkedIn for advanced features, et cetera, whatever the functionality you're looking for, just like in a, in a traditional dating app. You know, if you yep. want more exposure, um, you have the ability to pay for it to, for, to get noticed by whoever it is that you're trying to get noticed by in a, in a dating app setting, mm-hmm. uh, and which is, this, which is the same social psychology of recruiting. Like recruiting and dating are, are quite literally identical from a social psychology perspective. Oh, it really is. It takes two to tango and it's really, really easy to figure out what you're attracted to. Almost instantaneous to figure it out. Mm-hmm. We've, done those, we've done the same modeling sometimes at our organization because we have a premium job board where when we do recruiting work from the employment stand, standpoint. And we've talked about that a lot of times and saying like, our world is very akin to a dating app. So let's look at some of those features and see if they make sense for ours. So I totally get where you're coming at it from. Um, and it makes sense if you're, if you're thinking of it from a student athlete perspective, there's a pretty clear business case to make too. If you pay for, or just use the freemium product, there could be great benefit to you of, you know, scholarship money, whatever could come to you opportunities and it starts to pencil really quick. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, it, that's most definitely the case. So, I mean, essentially you've got, you've got a scenario here where you've got, I'll just use another dating app model or even LinkedIn for that matter. You could pay for the premium versions of any of those, you know, companies, whether it's LinkedIn, Hinge, Bumble, Tinder, you name it, right? If you pay for the premium version. I'm a married man, so I'm not on any of those, but I'll take your word for it. That's okay. These were market research purposes uh, for me. (laughs) Right, of course. Yeah. um, But if you pay for the premium version of any of those applications and you still don't get, you know, matches, right? That is not the fault of the dating app. That's a pretty clear indication of the market telling you that you're not attractive to the other party that you're trying to attract, mm-hmm. right? And that's okay. Like the market is the market. There's nothing that any, like it's not, a, it's not a glitch in the algorithm from Hinge, Bumble or Tinder that you didn't get any matches if you paid for it. Right. It's just the reality of the situation, right? Like the other person on the other side of the screen has to like you just mm-hmm. as much as you like them for this to work. Um, so coaches have to like you, it doesn't matter. Like, but the whole thing is like, there are these companies out there within, you know, recruiting that consider themselves services where, you know, they'll be like, you know, five foot six Johnny that wants to play quarterback at Alabama, you know, anyone with, you know, two cents to rub together could tell you that like that kid that's five foot six is not going to play quarterback at Alabama, but there are companies out there that will say, yeah, for $5,000, we'll make the, they'll make the phone calls and we'll make it happen. doesn't matter. Like that's not going to happen, you know? So for us, it was kind of like, okay, if you want to pay like a very, very fair and reasonable $20 a month to figure out if you're good enough. And if and after one month, you're like, I'm still the five foot five quarterback that's trying to play at Alabama, probably not going to happen. That's okay. Yeah. I'd rather you do that than go spend $5,000 and you learn yourself because there are so many parents out there, you know, where they tell their kids that they're the next Michael Jordan and LeBron James and Tom Brady. And it's like, 
you're probably not, you know, mm-hmm. if you work really hard and, and you invest in yourself, maybe, but like the chances are very much stacked against you. And then all of these kids hit 16, 17 and they're like, why aren't I Tom Brady or, mm-hmm. or, you know, LeBron James yet? And it's like, well, because you don't possess the physical gifts and the genetic makeup and the mental makeup to be able to go and do that. So that's kind of what we've, what we've built here of like, put the athlete first, make it incredibly af- affordable, easy to use. And then if you, and then ha- have you figure it out? The market is the market. If no one likes you, the, that's a pretty good indication. The market's telling you that you maybe aren't as good as you think you are. And that's okay. Yeah. It's not the, it's not the end of the world. If you're not good enough to play college, college football, or any other sport within collegiate athletics for that matter. It is amazing. My daughter's in high school and she plays field hockey. And the first day of practice every year, they say, they warn them that there will be predatory practices. There will be recruiter people that will come to you and they will tell you, pay us X amount of dollars. We'll get you to the top of the pile with this school and this school and this school. And a lot of times to your point, it's crap. It's baloney and they're just taking their money. Um, is part of your inspiration for this too, and giving the power and the power back to the athletes, obviously, but also it's part of your inspiration, the transparency and credibility be coming back to the industry as well. Yeah. So like you just made the mention of like, you know, XYZ company or person will go and say, pay me X amount of dollars and we'll talk to coaches for you. Yeah. We are, we are not a service in any way, shape or form, you know, like we are not going to go talk to any coach for any athlete, period. You know, it's your, we, we've built the tool and the platform for you to go figure it out yourself. Yeah. And if you're good enough, great. If you're not good enough, that's also okay. If you want to keep fighting, use air to keep fighting. Just like you use LinkedIn to go and find a job or, or, or help yourself in the professional setting of going to get a new job, hiring someone, whatever it might be, you know, it LinkedIn doesn't offer one-on-one consulting, you know, <laughs> like that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, we're the same. We're not he- sitting here being like, pay me X amount of dollars and I'll get you to your dream school, even if you've got no fighting chance in getting to your dream school, right. at least to play at least to play on a sporting team. Now, you can go there as a regular student if you get in, but like, that's kind of the model that we've taken. And we're not sitting here trying to be predatory in any way, shape or form. If you pay $0 for air and you get your scholarship, fantastic. Awesome. That means that you're really good. Good for you. Yeah. Like I'm ha- like we yeah. as a company will will celebrate that because it means that you know so cool. people are getting having people are having success on the platform. You're get you're you're using the platform to do exactly what it was designed to do, which is give you a tool to get recruited to pursue your dreams, play at the next level. And you know you hear the age old phrase of like college isn't a four year decision; it's a forty year decision. I mean, depending on where you go, it's very real. You know, the network of you know some of the most prestigious universities holds you for your entire professional career, regardless of the sport. Right. So it is, I I do believe in in that statement. So it is really, really important to invest early in it because the way that recruiting and getting a scholarship should be looked at is getting a really highly paid job between the ages of 18 and 23. Yep. Yep. We all know how bad of a, how bad of a deal student debt is in this country. Um, You know, if you can get sport to pay for, your education, I think that's a pretty good vehicle, especially considering how few college athletes, regardless of sport, play at the next level. I love this idea of leveling the playing field, giving everybody equal opportunity to find out where their market is or if their market even exists. I love the idea of being transparent and credible and just being the market. I love It all makes perfect sense. How have coaches responded to it so far? What's the feedback been from that side? Really positive. So there's only two types of... Co- as much on the recruiting side as the networking side. 
there are only two types of coaches in the world, regardless of sport. Coaches that have been fired and coaches that are going to be fired. Oh, yeah. There's no, no such thing as job security in any coaching profession, period, end of story. But within coaching, for whatever reason, networking is not encouraged. It's odd. You have to kind of be loyal to the head coach, et cetera. Mm. And you can't really, you know, if you're in any other real profession, you'd probably be shopping yourself around while you're in your existing job to go get another one, right? And in coaching, that's kind of frowned upon. But we're, we're doing it in a discreet way where you can network, promote your athletic resume of where you played, where you coach, what your football football or sport philosophy is, right? Um, and network within the coaching community on top of obviously being able to recruit in a more efficient manner. So it's two-sided on the coaching side of things. You know, unfortunately, we're just in football for right now, but we will be scaling into all sports is coaches really only go to conventions for maybe 10 days of the year. And then the rest is they don't talk to any other coaches other than, you know, coaches that they already knew because like, that's just kind of the way it is. And it should be, you network every day because you never know when you're going to need the next job. And it's, excuse me, it's not a matter of if, but when you are going to be in December and, you know, one out of every three years, you're going to have to find a new job, whether that be that the head coach is successful and, and took you to the next one or maybe the head coach wasn't successful and the whole staff got fired. It's just kind of, it depends. So yeah, we're, we're giving those coaches the ability to go do that as well as obviously, you know, recruit in a more efficient manner and filter and tailor towards their own specific wants and needs and save time really. I mean, that's the number one thing that the coaches especially can't get back is just how much time it takes to evaluate. So we're saving them time there as well. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they find it as a nice efficiency tool. You, you talked about uh, being in primarily in NCAA football right now and possibly we're planning to expand to other sports. Yeah. Is that the sweet spot and that a lot of these other peripheral programs are not quite as high revenue generating programs? They might have, a, that's a lot of opportunity where, where, the, where the NCAA market may be somewhat flooded with recruitment efforts. Yeah. The others may not be quite as much. And there's a lot more people that are trying to get into those sports that may not have that same exposure that they might get from, you know, college football and all the different publications that cover them, et cetera. Definitely. Is that an opportunity that you're looking at and saying, okay, that's the, that's the area we need to head? Yeah, most definitely. Um, especially women's sports, to be frank. Um, tight, like, I don't think a lot of, I don't think just like general society is really aware of like, there are, there are title nine rules within collegiate athletic departments. So it's like, for example, I went to SMU, there were seven men's sports and 10 women's sports because 48 or 49% of each athletic department has to be made up of female athletes. So football, for example, has 85 scholarship at football players, full scholarship that's mandated. There's no halves in football. It's just full or nothing. Um, so you have to make up the numbers in other women's sports. So there's a lot of opportunity um, for women's sports where those girls are just as desperate for an opportunity to come get their college you know, tuition paid for and, and you know, get themselves in the door as much as a, a male athlete. So yes, most mm-hmm. definitely. Like it's, We started in football because I came over to the States to play football you know, yeah. it was, it was my frame of reference. There's the most market media attention money and it involved, right. From a traditional setting, B2B setting. Um, but we aren't playing in a traditional B2B world. We're playing in a consumer world. So therefore I care just as much about the women's volleyball player as I do about the, the football player. You know, I care just as much about the cheerleader, I think that's super the cool. cheerleader, yeah. or even the, you know, the, the band team as I do, um, you know, the five-star mm-hmm. basketball recruit. So that's, that's kind of where we've positioned ourselves as a company. It's interesting. I saw too, as on part of your product outline that you do allow for the 
student athletes to include off the field things too, not just player highlights. Is that accurate? That's true. Yeah, we want to show their personality. I mean, you know, you're recruiting, you're recruiting the face of a franchise, right? I love that. See, I was thinking too, if we're hiring somebody, if I'm hiring staff, I'm thinking about how they fit into our overall corporate culture mm-hmm. and how they're going to impact everything. It's a lot more than just your resume and what you can do. I want to learn about them. Yeah. And is that is that one of your major differentiators? I would imagine coaches much really appreciate that because it helps them think about culture as well. Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of going back to like the original, like how quickly can you make a decision on whether an athlete is capable of playing athletically at whatever the school is? Let's say you like the kid, don't love the kid yet. You then go learn and figure it to your point, everything else out. Is the kid academically capable of getting into school here? Does he fit, he or she fit the the system that we're trying to play as a staff? You know, like it, it does everything align and then you can dive deeper in there. And we're just trying to provide as much frame of reference as possible. But with that being said, we're, it, we're putting the onus and the responsibility on the user themselves. I'm not in the business candidly or we are not in the business sorry of saying this publication rated you a five star four star three star you know that's however many journalists opinion of a kid you know but what about the kid actually promoting themselves right yeah that's the that's the big thing here you know like if you're applying for a job in on linkedin for example and you don't fill out your linkedin profile you know it's your fault that you didn't get the job right it's just your fault you filled out 40 yeah. percent of your resume so like the exact same logic applies for us and the cream will very much rise to the crop there. So you mentioned it earlier. Um, how difficult was it and how unexpected was it to start to be an early phase and have a pandemic hit where there's no games, there's not as many recruiting visits, there's a lot of changes going on, everybody's in a chaos state of fr- frame of mind. Yeah. Um, I, that couldn't have been an easy period. <laughs> no, but I think it was the best thing that ever happened to it, like the state of the company. Um it just further validated that like in-person visits weren't, you know, the only way to get eyes on a kid, pretty much plain and simple. We've now realized that we can use this, right? And I can talk to anyone in the world and I can evaluate talent just like I would if I went to a Friday night game of football and said that kid can play, you know? Yeah. No, it's great. It's a, so, you know what? It's a great way to look at what happened in the last year too and to think of it as a positive business case and positive user experience. Yeah. Well, it was also, we had the benefit of candidly. It was like, we hadn't, didn't have a product live yet. Right. Yeah. So it was like, and we didn't have like a whole money, whole mon- amount of money invested in like a physical tool or something of that nature where it was like, damn, we just lost, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars because now we're paying like rent on a, on a property that like we can't have people come and use on a daily yeah. basis in like a sports facility. So like, it was just like, oh, we're doing everything like virtually anyway with like our development structure and everything and we have phone calls and now i just can't go have coffee with you we're just doing it over yeah. you know video instead and that, that's okay it's not the end of the world so um yeah I, I it had its challenges it was more of just like the unrest of society more so than anything mm-hmm. um but as a business as a business i actually think think it gave us a lot of time to to get set and then time it up pretty well for as you know the world started to come out of lockdown you know, in, in May, which is when we launched the application um, and, you know, kind of kick things off with a bang and NIL coming out, you know, five weeks after launch yeah. certainly, certainly helps that equation. And that was, you know, that was intentional from a, a, a launch standpoint. So yeah, it's all of it is, I think, positively contributed. 
it's definitely one of those important attributes to layer in flexibility along with innovation and all the other things you're trying to accomplish is to kind of be allowed to pivot, figure out where the the sweet spot is and 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 have some flexibility through the process. And there's no better indication of that of, I mean, a global pandemic, right? As you're about to launch, it didn't make things very easy. As, as you look at yourself now, you've earned this label of entrepreneur, founder. How would you describe yourself uh, as a, a, your approach, your leadership style? How would you define yourself? Boy, um, creative. I'm, I'm just, I like creating things, like building things, really. I mean, I'm, I'm an ideas guy. Um, I have a hundred of them a day, you know, 99 of them might be dead, might be bad, sorry, but one of them might be like, oh, well, we should pursue that. Right. Um, so I, I let people, I let, I am very, very firm on the fact that like anyone that joins the company has to like have like a really unfair competitive advantage over me or any other team member that they're so much better than the next guy that like we, we, I couldn't do it or any of our current team members couldn't do it ourselves type of deal. And they all like from a leadership perspective, like obviously we have a preference to candidly of, you know, former athletes because, you know, the best way to understand the core mission is to have lived it yourself. Yep. Um, and, you know, just about every, co- every college athlete went through some sort of recruiting process. So, and understand some sort of pains and, tribu- and tribulations that go through with that. So from a leadership standpoint, it's, it's very, let's like, let's nurture everyone. Let's build this as, as together rather than, you know, author- authoritarian. I don't, I don't really, you know, like that that environment i want everything to be collaborative i want to encourage free thinking and creative ideas um and you know you know if you restrict that of your of the people that work within the within the company i think you know you're you're leaving so much on the table you bring people in to to want them to have ownership of it as well just like you do um so I, i mean the big thing for me is like they don't work for me or the company like i work for them on a daily basis that's really the model in which i take it is like you can't expect any other person within the company to care about something as much as you when you started it. You know, that's unfair and unreasonable that no one else has as much vested interest in it either, you know? Mm -hmm. So like for me, it's like, what can I do on a daily basis to amplify everyone else within the organization? How how many people do you have on staff so far? Yeah. With a variety of, of, of sectors, whether that be on the dev side of thing or the biz dev sales, et cetera. I mean, we're, we're getting pretty close to 20 at this point. So, um, really, really strong, like really, really strong foundation. I think the big, like big difference of like us to, you know, perhaps a few other companies that have tried to play in kind of this sports world is we're not a sports company. Like we're a technology company that just happened to find sports as the vehicle for that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the big differentiating, differentiating factor is like, we're going to invest in technology far more than we're going to invest in anything else. Um, we'll finish up with this. It's been an amazing conversation. I've really appreciated it. What's been the best part for you in the last three months as you went from launching product to starting to see it take hold? Have there been moments where you've been able to sit back and, and enjoy it? Have there been special moments or has it just been go, go, go? Yeah. I have to remind myself to, you know, open my eyes a little bit and look at, you know, somewhat of success. I have a real hard time. I kind of just kept it. So always on to the next thing, but yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been nice and validating that like our, early, not only the product works success, it's uh, you know, we're getting positive feedback, but I kind of pride myself on like growth hacking as a marketing skill set um, that is, is far from traditional to be frank. Um, and I feel as though my ability and, and our ability as a company to growth hack 
has been like the most validating because I already knew the tech was good. I knew the product was good. I knew people were going to enjoy it, but it was like, how do we actually talk to the consumer? And that was like my big thing. It's like, there's no point of, you know, of making the, the shiniest, brightest object if no one knows about it and no one cares about it. So I, I took, I take major pride to be frank in the early success of, of the growth because I feel as though the validation of growth hacking for us has worked, which like, honestly, I'm probably the most proud selfishly because that's kind of my domain from that perspective. All right. I can't leave it there. I got to ask a follow-up question on that. Oh, so what, what's been your key then? What has been your way of growth hacking a little bit? If you're taking a, an unconventional approach, what have you, not to give out any massive secrets, but like what, what's, a, what's a one example of something you've done a little bit off the beaten path? Um, I think the hardest thing in the world to do as a new company is to build brand and build brand identity. You know, mm-hmm. how you meant to how you meant to convey a message when no one knows you because you just popped up on the scene out of nowhere yesterday, right? It's, impo- it's just about impossible. Yeah. It's pretty much impossible unless you've got millions and millions of dollars in brand in funding to go and invest in brand loyalty that like you don't even care about conversion. It's just like now people know about you, which like isn't always Yep. prevalent just brand awareness just spread it out exactly it's yeah. like you know you, it's pretty hard to measure that from a conversion standpoint but really for us it was like okay who's our target demo skewed young right skewed teenage where's teenagers spending a lot of their time probably tiktok and snapchat yeah you know who do the do, do 13 to 17 year old kids watch tv anymore probably not you know this is the tv yes yep. where are they spending all their time TikTok or Snapchat and Instagram. Yep. So we the thirteen the thirteen year old boy or four you know seventeen year old boy cares a hell of a lot less about um, Jake Gyllenhaal traditional A list celebrity than he does about YouTube creator destroying. Yeah, you know. So for us, it was kind of like, why on earth would I invest money in in places where the attention of who I'm trying to attract is not there? when I can have a pretty sure bet that this content creator has already built their audience. I already know what the target demographic of their audience is because that's the content that they make. And he's, his audience are my customers. So it made no sense for me to go elsewhere. And he's, he or she as the content creator have built that uh, relationship with the audience already, right? So they trust that person. I mean, I'll speak from personal experience. There's a content creator called Casey Neistat who made a daily vlog talking about all things New York City, videography, photography, building a business. He actually built a tech company on YouTube and he made a daily vlog for like two years. If Casey Neistat, like I would not, I would get so much more excited right now to meet Casey Neistat than I would, you know, a traditional A-list celebrity because I feel as though I have a personal relationship with Casey Neistat. You know, Casey's never met me before. I've never met Casey, but I know everything about Casey Neistat's life. I know all about his family life. I know about his office. I know about what he does for a living. I know what he's interested in because I feel like I have a personal relationship with the guy, right? And if he recommended a camera, you'd probably buy it. 100%. Yeah. Because I trust him above all those because I recognize him as subject matter expert. Yep. So that, and, and then you look at like, that works when the audience that you're trying to attract is also watching. And that's really unique for us, which is, I think the fact that like I'm fresh out of school and, you know, quote unquote young is the best advantage for us as a company because five minutes ago I was the consumer and just went through it. Yep. So I still think like the consumer, whereas, you know, the traditional middle-aged father that had a kid that went through the recruiting process and said, this is broken, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, 
it's it's not your it's not your fault or any other you know middle aged father or, or uh, <laughs> mother that had a kid go through it. But like, there's it's it is impossible for you to understand the consumer as well as I do, right? Because you're so far removed, even though they live in your household. Yep. Even though the fifteen or sixteen year old boy or girl lives in your under your roof, you don't understand on what er, what on earth what that kid's going through or how they're thinking about things or what they're consuming. But I do. Mm-hmm. So I feel as though that's like our unfair competitive advantage of like truly understanding the consumer um, and going about it in that direction. And I feel as though, I mean, that's been, you know, the single greatest value add that we've had. I mean, our customer acquisition cost is, is, is very, very good because of our ability to growth hack in that capacity. So, well, lean into what you're doing because it's yeah, working. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, lean into what you're doing because it's working and it's inspiring and it's a really cool product that I'll probably sign my daughter up for in, within the next 10 minutes. So, um, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's really great to get to know you and your product. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. Appreciate your time. I think you can probably tell from the interview my affinity for entrepreneurs. There is just an interest there in how how it all worked, how they found the inspiration, how they made it happen, how they executed. And I think James did a great job of articulating his unique attributes. And I love how at the end, like I couldn't just leave it. I didn't, I needed to know like, well, wait a second, you're talking about how you're the greatest growth hacker in the world. I want to hear what you're doing. And he does have some really great ideas in there that we can all implement. So fun conversation. I'm glad you all tuned into it. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, download all the good stuff that happens. Make sure you follow our LinkedIn channel, Follow me on LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter at At Work and Sports. Follow us on our YouTube channel. We share a lot of video content and other teaching tools to help you out in your sports career. There's a lot more than just this podcast that we do. So make sure you tune into all of our different content avenues so that you can reap all the benefits. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you all next week.